You're listening to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast, episode number 47. And today, ladies, I had the great opportunity to sit down and chat with my friend, Kristen Achari. I actually met Kristen in a high-powered women's mastermind group. And when I found out that she was a mental health worker, her and I clicked because I first started out my career as a mental health nurse, and I loved it. So Kristen is a licensed independent clinical social worker. She's got 200 hours as a certified yoga teacher, and she's the founder of the Holistic Heart, an integrative mental health center in Warwick, Rhode Island, where they combine yoga, meditation, and wellness workshops with holistic counseling for a whole person approach to mental health and emotional health. Isn't that fabulous? I just think that's fabulous. She is a lifelong learner, avid reader, and deep thinker. Kristen is infinitely curious and always looking to explore the depth and meaning beyond the surface. She is so passionate about the innate power and resilience of the human spirit and our ability to create a life we love if we are willing to look at who we are with courageous honesty, an inquisitive mind, and an open heart. And we dive into all of that in this episode and so much more. So you're going to not want to miss it. And I created a great freebie for you that goes along with this episode. It's called the Busy Businesswoman's Self-Care Survival Guide. And it's all about self-care tips for the busy businesswoman. And Kristen and I talk a lot about the need to get self-care into your schedules in this episode. So this freebie complements this episode so well. And you can go grab it over at www.wellwomannetwork.com forward slash biz, B-I-Z, self-care. And just grab it. And then after that, we'll send you weekly wellness tips to keep you informed about all that other good stuff. So with no further ado, let's dive on in and listen to that conversation with me and my friend, Kristen Achari. Well, women, it's time for a new perspective on women's health. A time to understand that your greatest wealth is your health. A time to make self-care your number one priority. A time to recognize that good health is the only way to live your best life and do all that you can in this world. So join me on this journey where we'll explore women's health topics from a medical provider's viewpoint. Have conversations about everyday healthy lifestyle options and enjoy interviews with other well women we can all learn from. It's time to demystify women's health and learn practical ways to apply self-care to every part of our lives. This is the Well Woman Lifestyle Podcast, and I'm your host, Michelle Broad, certified women's and adult nurse practitioner, daughter, wife, mother, and all-out women's health enthusiast. So you ready to start the journey? Let's go. All right, ladies, and welcome back to another episode of the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Kristen Achari, and she is a licensed independent clinical social worker. She has 200-hour certified yoga teacher, and she's also the founder of the Holistic Heart and Integrative Mental Health Center in Warwick, Rhode Island. So thanks, Kristen, so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here because I wanted to talk to you since we met last year in the Mastermind. Thank you for having me. Cool. So tell me a little bit, just give me a little bit of background, how you got into mental health, and then we can kind of get into some of the juicy, meaty stuff that we're going to talk about today. Sure. Yeah, I've just always been very curious um, and interested in human relationships and interpersonal dynamics and just how we work. I've always wondered, um, I'm 
a chronic self-improver. So I've always been curious about myself and curious about others. And I think mental health and psychology really lends itself to studying like, why do we do the things that we do? How do we have the best experiences that we can have? And how do we make things the most fulfilling that they can be? So that's really what drew me to the profession of mental health for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that when I started off as a nurse and I started off in mental health, that was my field. So I worked inpatient, outpatient. I was part of a psychiatric um, PT team down in Orange County. So yeah, and I think even taking care of women in any business that you're in with women coaching and stuff, you know, we are dealing with the mental health aspect of it. We're all psychologists today, right? (laughs) So anyways, okay. So what I want to dive into first is I want to talk about this because I know that I I read it over on your blog. I just scour everybody's stuff. I read everything. So talk to me about the connection between healing and, um, and being aware and why do we have to become aware in order to facilitate the healing process? Yeah, I really feel strongly about that. That's actually something that um, my whole sort of framework and how I approach mental health is built around is I really think that what happens is we go through our life and we have experiences that sort of teach us things about ourselves. And I, I think we're not always super cognizant of the things that we're learning about who we are or how we're expected to show up in the world. And these become kind of unconscious default patterns in the way that we present ourselves, the way that we interact with others, the things that we expect for ourselves in our lives. Um, And so when we pause and practice awareness, we can start to really deconstruct some of those lessons. So one of my favorite quotes, um, comes from A Course in Miracles, actually, it's that um, most learning is really unlearning, right? And that really what we're doing, so I think awareness gives us the opportunity to do that, to look and say, where did I learn this and is it really true about me? So, you know, I don't know, for example, if perhaps you had a caregiver who wasn't able to give you the attention and unconditional um, love and nurturing that you really needed as a child, you might learn a lesson that you're not lovable or that you're not worthy of that type of attention. And so without examination, without awareness, we might move through our life with that lesson and behave in a way as if this is really true. And that would then impact the choices that we make for ourselves, how much we allow ourselves to have. Um, So it can be like a really big topic um, and I don't want to take too much um, time with it. But, But that's my thought is that we can sort of move in this default autopilot way and not even realize that these were not things that we ever believed about ourselves. It's something that was um, given to us from the outside. And Yeah, absolutely. Because my friend and I, we were talking about this a while back and I was actually going to write, um, I had this blog article that I was writing about saying that a lot of times, you know, how we feel about ourselves is sometimes it's from things that people put on us that we don't even know. Sometimes it's things that we put on ourselves that we don't even know and that we carry this with us forever. And we don't even know like why we get involved in situations and then we don't know why we, we react the way that we do. And it's because of those things. And it was all about, you know, how do we uncover and change some of that thinking? So could you just give me like a few pointers? Okay. So if we were going to start this awareness process and we wanted to change some things, I know that, um, you know, just a few little things, how can we, what are some of the things that we can become aware of? And then how do we put in a little bit of change to start to make those changes? I mean, how do we, you know, connect that awareness to change is what I guess I'm asking. Yeah. So I think first we have to set the space for awareness. And I think in our culture and our society, there's a lot of emphasis on action and productivity and movement and outcome. Um, So 
I find that most people, certainly myself included at times, fall into a pattern of doing, doing, doing. And there's not a lot of space for cultivating awareness intentionally when we are constantly on the move. In fact, distraction um, really prevents us from being able to cultivate that type of awareness. So I think the very first practical step is to challenge yourself to be still more often and with some type of regularity. Uh, Because when we are quiet, either with our bodies or with our minds, and we pause and and connect with ourselves and our own inner experience, that's where we start to have room available for these insights where we might start to become aware of what our patterns are or what might be um, happening for us and how then that sort of lends itself to an internal insight on what might be able to change as a result. Uh, So I think awareness and cultivating the space for awareness is the first tangible step. And then based on the insights that you develop through this time, really actively inquiring into your own experience um, and deconstructing in some ways. You know, one of my favorite prompts to myself and to the people that I support is when is the first time that you remember feeling this way, right? So if there's a strong emotion, when's the first time that it might not be um, that you remember when you were a kid, you might remember just last week, but if that's as far back as it goes for you memory-wise, that's okay too. But what is your earliest memory of having this feeling? Because that will start to help us um, understand where it might have come from and how we might deconstruct or challenge that belief. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that too, you know, for most of us who are business women and we're running our businesses and trying to live life too, we're always on the go. And it really is because I talk a lot about this in our, in our self-care that you need to just be quiet and still sometimes because you can't, you know, there's so much noise going on around us, you know, on the outside, plus our own noise going on inside of our head, that if we don't give ourselves, you know, sometime throughout the day to just sit in a moment of, of silence and clarity to kind of be there, we can't really hear anything. And sometimes, you know, like I, I really love what you said too, that creativity, you know, cannot, I, I don't feel all the time that creativity can happen all the time in chaos. I think in order to be creative, you know, like Angela always taught us too, that you got to get rid of some of that gorgeous chaos and put it somewhere. And then when you're quiet with it, then that the creativity kind of flows for you to open up and expand on where you are, where you've been and where you are and how can you move forward in that, in that path. Mm-hmm. So cool. Thank you. Okay. So now I was also, I want to know about this thing that you were mentioning, you were talking about it too, that, you know, that we need to stop pretending that being human is a flaw. So tell me a little bit, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. And what is that? What does that entail? So I really believe that um, it's very unfortunate that I think we have sort of pathologized emotional experiences. And I I think in a well, it started off, I want to believe it started off in a well-intentioned way to just sort of, I think we organize information to try to understand it and place things in categories so that we have a better understanding of how we might work with something and improve and help someone feel better. But I ultimately think that we've started making um, assessments that mean, that, that make people feel like having a anxiety or um, sadness are now, you know, conditions and concerns. And while certainly there's a certain level that does constitute a condition, I think so much of this is a very normal aspect of being human. We have a a multi- 
like a full spectrum of emotion that we have a capacity for. And I really believe that we are meant to feel that full spectrum. And so there's sort of, in my opinion, a cultural emphasis on happy and fine. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever like asked someone the last time you asked someone how they're doing and they said, actually, I'm not doing great. You know, like that. <laughs> say where I'm doing good, I'm doing okay, I'm busy is a very often um, a response like that's sort of socially accepted for us in our culture. Um, so it's not often that we're really inviting people to tell us how they really feel. Um, and we've sort of gotten shied away from the idea that we're allowed to feel anything beyond okay or um, happy or good. And, you know, life is challenging in a lot of ways. It's beautiful, but it's full and there's multi, um, multi-dimensional experiences and we have um, joy and we have loss and we have changes and there's so much that goes into it. we're really meant to experience those things um, in an emotional way and it doesn't always look like just one thing in fact one thing can bring a lot of joy and a lot of sadness in the same thing you know like a major life transition like closing one door opening another one might be really exciting and also have a strong tinge of sadness around whatever you're leaving behind to grow into this something new so the idea that we um, hold only one type of emotion or that we aren't, you know, it isn't normal for us to feel sadness or some anxiety sometimes or anticipation um, is sort of, to me, the biggest myth out there right now about what, about mental health. Yeah. And I think too, you know, and I don't know, answer me or just answer me this. I do think too, I think sometimes, you know, because women, um, and it's just, I talk about women because that's my thing and you're in part of your jam too. It's just that women in business, whether, in, and I see a lot more of it like in corporate world than I necessarily do in, in, on, in the entrepreneurship side. But like when you're trying to work up that corporate ladder and you're in those corporate jobs, you know, you have to, it, the persona is that if you want to compete against men, then you have to, as a woman, have to kind of, you know, shut down your feminine side and put on that masculine side. And you, and once you get so used to doing that on a day-to-day -day basis because that's sometimes the world that some of um, our career women are living in, you know, you, you tend to stay in that, in that lane all the time and it's hard to get back to the feminine side. And then, you know, because, you know, like you were saying, I think that, you know, as a woman, as femininity, we have a lot to bring to the table. And that's what an advantage is, I think, of having women in business is because they have all of those intuitive senses. Not that men don't, because I think men do have those, but I think that, you know, women just are taught to stuff all that stuff down and not to be open and bring that human and those emotions, like who would cry in, in the office? Well, you know, in a meeting or something, you're not going to do that, but we're so used to just putting on that mask. What do you think? Mm -hmm. I really agree. And I think that I, I'm hopeful that there's a sort of a, a paradigm shift occurring where we're realizing that we've kind of sort of gone too far in one direction in that um, masculine energy sort of, um, direction of holding things and being more like clear and a sort of in, there's like in um it makes me think of like the yin and yang energy yang being very um action oriented and yin being more receptive and the yin is the more feminine of the two so just thinking of like really what we're going for is balance right and so i think we've sort of gone too far on the yang if you will and like the action and the um assertion and you know task orientation and all of those things are incredibly important in business and in life um, but also knowing that we need to invite in receptivity and intuition and and relationship and that those things have a lot of value and a very significant place in the business world and we actually are learning I think that 
some corporations even are starting to embrace that there is maybe a different way to do things. And I think the really brave, courageous women at the forefronts um, are, are trailblazing around introducing a more um, intuitive, more receptive and relationship and compassion-based work environment, knowing that that's really um, what allows people to show up in their full humanness. And then creates the most productivity and the most, um, you know, fulfillment and thriving, you know, environment for the employees and the people um, that are there working. Yeah, I think I see it like in the shift, like when people, you know, more women are going into entrepreneurship. And I think for that reason, because not only does it bring more balance for their life in general, family and all the other stuff, but it's, it it allow it's allowing them to show their creativity side and to, um, really express themselves wholly where I know like, you know, when I practice medicine, you know, you have to show up and this is how you show up and you don't show up any other way. And so they're going more into their own businesses so that they can, you know, show up as how their true authentic self. And I think as we see more women at the helm of some of these corporations and as the CEO, and I think in general too, we're seeing a lot more businesses, like you said today, just taking a whole different approach because the pendulum has really swung from one end. It's starting to swing back to the other end. And we're seeing this paradigm shift that things that used to, you know, work just aren't working anymore. You know, they just don't hold up because they're not, you know, they're not sustainable for a human to keep up that kind of demand and all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So it's just like, and I was reading too, you know, and I know that I asked you, excuse me, that you wrote, you know, I asked you to write a blog article for us and you, and you were so beautiful and you did. And I thank you so much. And I really wanted to um, share some of that insight that you were writing in that article where you were talking about, you know, because this piggybacks on the question that we were just, that we were just addressing the topic is that, you know, women have a hard time expressing their emotional side and that, you know, we, we just, we bag everything down. So I want to know, because I know that in the article, I don't want to give all of it away because I want people to go and read it. But first of all, talk to me about, you know, why you see this trend, you know, and where, you know, where it's been and where it's gone. And then talk to me, give us a few pointers, you know, of some of those things that extract from the article, kind of like, you know, what we can do and why we're doing that and how we can kind of be more going back again to that, uh, that topic of awareness, you know, more present and not necessarily step down our emotions, but feel comfortable enough to where we can express them. Mm-hmm. So I really, um, I I think as far as where it starts is um, just I'm thinking of, you know, how do things show up emotionally? Why did we um, as women sort of learn that we needed to push this down, I think was the start of your question, right? So, and I believe that that really comes from there have been really very real consequences to showing emotional experiences and and what could be perceived as vulnerability in a a public setting, never mind a work setting, right? So I think that one of the reasons why women um, sort of hold their emotions and don't necessarily express and and then I think even start to not even feel um, their emotions is because there were, it's, we're already up against um, an imbalance in what we have to show and prove um, as far as being taken seriously in a lot of ways, although I do think that that is shifting um, and continues to, we're still not all the way there. And on top of that, we run the risk, unfortunately, of um, some very old language and belief systems around being viewed as hysterical or um, irrational or, you know, sort of not being practical and logistical. Um, and that there's some type of, I guess, like, like 
not defectiveness, but liability is the word that I'm looking for in having an emotional capacity and the, the ability to respond and feel emotions is somehow um, you know, a liability rather than a strength. And so I think it's been really viewed that way throughout, you know, a long period of time and, and is just now starting to be potentially looked at as being different. So we've been taught that if we want to get ahead, we have to look like, you know, we, we often, women are very smart, right? So we model yeah. ourselves after, you know, I see this person is successful. So that might be what I have to do in order to also be successful. And we model ourselves after um, this like sort of old paradigm of belief. And, and I do think that we're starting to get clear that that is not serving us anymore. And that's a wonderful thing, but I think that's one really big contributing factor. There's been some real social consequences to being vulnerable and being clear and open with your emotions um, in a business setting and in a professional capacity and as well as in a personal capacity, to be honest. I think even being very open with your emotions in certain relationships um, yeah. might not be super welcome as well. So really challenging that dynamic. I also, one of the things I spoke to in the article is that I think women, um, we carry so much. And particularly, you know, I think women in any capacity, but I'm thinking particularly women in an entrepreneurial um, space where they're running a business and also probably, um, you know, their own lives, their personal lives, possibly family lives that they're juggling. And so there are so many facets that we have up in the air at all times. And so I believe that, you know, something I've heard from women that I work with is that they're afraid if they start to feel their emotions, they won't be able to juggle the um, all, keep all the balls in the air, right? Like I'm managing all of these things. All of the, I'm responsible for all of these things. Um, these people rely on me. I'm the only one that can get this done. I'm a caretaker of this, that, and the other thing. And so I don't want, I don't have time. I don't have the time to check in with myself. And if I do, and it softens me, and then I find that I need some time with something, then I'm going to let these other people down or I might drop some of the balls I have in the air. Yeah, I definitely think so too, because... I, I'm like, I'm one of those people, you know, I, I have a job, I do, I do my online stuff, you know, I'm a caretaker to my mom too. And sometimes it's just like, you know, you are doing it all. And, you know, and then you're trying to find help, you know, you, you get to that old adage, you know, well, if you want the job done, well, just do it yourself. And I know how to do it. So it's so much easier for me just to do it all because I don't have time to explain it to someone else how to do it. And I think we get caught into, into that too. And we just think that we have to be that I think we're still on that concept of the superwoman, you know, the 24-7 mantra that we had from years ago as women, you know, you can do it all, go out and work, come home and, you know, and be the mom, be, be, be everything that you need to be and still get dinner on the table by six o'clock, you know, and we're still, I think we still have those um, societal views, even though they are changing, but I think they're slow to change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like people like you and people like myself who are out there, you know, really pushing the, um, the self-care movement and how important it is to, you know, to regain some of that, that things are going to change. And I think that maybe, you know, in your profession, I'm sure you see it, you know, I see it mine, but I'm sure because you're in the mental health profession and you have a practice that more and more people, you know, are coming in just being burnt out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, and you can probably speak to this better than I can, Michelle, but I think there's such a a high percentage. I don't, I'm not familiar with the exact number. I want to say it's at least over 70% of medical conditions even are related to stress on some level, um, that we are just like a burnt out society, right? Like that we're just operating on full capacity at all times. Um, is that like consistent with what you have experienced? Yes, uh, definitely. And I mean, 
I see that a lot. I see a lot of burnout. I see a lot of burnout, especially in women and just ignore my dogs because, you know, this is live. We're shooting live here. But I also see like, you know, especially from my end in the mental health perspective and why I so love what you do and respect it a way more of what you do on your end than, and I don't mean to put my profession down, but on my end, and, and I've seen professional, you know, mental health working, is we don't take the time to really get to know and, and, and talk to people that, ha- that are having these issues. I mean, our first issue, issue is giving them medication, okay? So take the medication so it numbs you out. You know, you're not going to be up here. You're not going to be down here. You're just going to be right here. And if you don't, you know, you may not cry when you're on the medication, so don't get alarmed, you know, and that's our first response because we don't have time in, on my end in, in Western medicine practice to sit down and really scope out, you know, how did these feelings start? You know, where did they start? Um, and let's see if we can do it in a more holistic manner. You know, it's just, it's pushing the medication. And I think that's where we're really going wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I, I it's, you know, to speak to the, the stress and burnout components of what I see, I do absolutely talk to a lot of people who um, describe, I think the word I would use is like a sense of pressure, right? Like there's a lot of pressure to be um, optimal at all times, get, you know, sort of even with your um, personal sharing, your example of your experience, Michelle, is like, I am really doing all the things, you know, I'm doing it all. And, um, and that, that's sort of like the normalized expectation, you know, and that we're, um, I often use the analogy of the seasons with my clients because we are animals. We're part of nature. We are not exempt from the cycles of nature. And, you know, so I think American culture in particular, Western culture is, it's like summer all the time and nothing is in peak season all the time and survives, right? Like, yeah. you know, there are these cycles where we go through, we peak, sure, that's wonderful. And then we move into, you know, rest and release and then deep rest and hibernation and then we amp back up and then we peak again. So there's like, you know, these cycles that we need of restoration and stillness and then, you know, action and energetic movement and then coming back around. So this um, sort of, you know, normalized experience of expectation that we are at optimal capacity at all times is, I, I think, behind um, a significant layer of burnout and, and a pressure to do it all and, and excel at it all. Not even just do it all, but be really, really great at it all. Yeah, I, I think so too, because what we see, we see a lot of it on TV too. And, you know, that's what and you see it in magazines and we all have that perception that even like a success that, oh, it just happened overnight. It's all glamorous. They don't ever have a bad hair day or anything else like that. And you just kind of think that's what you have to be in order to, like you said, to model success. Mm-hmm. And I know like for myself, you know, I don't necessarily call it burnout. I just, I feel overwhelmed at times, mm-hmm. but then I've really honed in, you know, in knowing what I know and, you know, being in that space, just like you, that I have to take time out for myself and just kind of say, you know, today is my day. Okay. You know, I'm not going over my mom's. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to sit here and chill, read a book, do whatever I need to do. But at the same time, you know, I've had to, you know, there's been times when early on that, you know, you wrestle with yourself, like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I, I, there's things I've got to be doing, you know, there's laundry I could be doing. I could, I should be going and doing this. And then you start to feel like a little bit of guilt goes on in your head. And then you have to kind of like say, well, why am I feeling guilty? You know, I do for everybody else. Why is it not important for me to do for myself? And I think that, um, part of it, and I know that you talk about this too, is, um, in the article when I was reading it, and I talk about this as well, that, you know, we feel this sense that self-care is selfish. And that's where it's really become in society is to look at that. Like if you're taking care of yourself, 
you know, that's, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to do because you're not focusing on, on everybody else. And then, you know, like what you said too, um, is like this up, this peaks. I love that to the seasons that just so, you know, brings it home for everybody because if like last week I did a podcast on adrenal fatigue and you can actually, you can think of adrenal fatigue kind of like, just like what you said, it's so amazing in those sessions, in those seasons, you know, like you're constantly on all the time, you know, and we're supposed to be on and then down, on and down, you know, and reach this up and this ebb and flow. And we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I just, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I, I completely um, agree. And I think that women in particular, because you spoke to um, a word that really resonates for me. You said we start to feel a little guilty. And I think that that's something that I hear and, and even personally experience, I think, the most around self-care in particular as a topic. Uh, and I do think that on some level, as women, we're more, more susceptible to that guilty feeling. And I think it comes down to um, a lot of social factors, but also biological factors. I, um, women are caregivers. We're nurturers. We're mothers. Um, so there's there's this component of I'm responsible, literally, for other people in my life. And if you're a parent, you're responsible for kids. You're you know. So we take on this like other people's well-being feels dependent on us showing up in a certain capacity. And I think that's part of our, our biology, but what we're not um, sort of doing well with is unraveling when that is no longer serving, right? When it's like, okay, that is true up to a certain point and up to a certain age and in, in certain dynamics, but it's not sort of, I feel like we're overgeneralizing that experience of responsibility, right? When we, um, can sort of be nurturing and caretaking by nature. Um, many, many women are nurturing and, and caretaking and responsible for the people that they love in a lot of different ways. And so can get this sort of internal dialogue of if I don't, this person is not going to be okay in whatever capacity that is, right? And then that's a lot of weight to carry and a lot of responsibility. And then we start to feel like I'm taking something away from someone that I love or I care about if I'm giving to myself. And that is where I think that dynamic of guilt starts to show up. And so it's sort of shifting our perspectives to understand that actually we show up much more fully and much more present and in, in a much better way for the people that we care about when we take good care of ourselves. And that is shown over and over again to be true, but it's a very hard thing for us to digest and really believe. I think we have to have that felt experience of it and practice it before it's comfortable so that we can get to know like, no, this really is the case. Um, and the more we do it, the easier it sort of gets. Yeah, definitely. I think you like what you said. It, that I see everybody just exactly what she said. You know, you have to take care of yourself because when you do that, you are showing up better for all those other people. You're able to give more, not only to, you know, to your business, but to your life, to your family and your friends. But it was just leading me thinking, I was thinking while you were talking about this, because my mind goes like all this. And I'm thinking back when we were talking about awareness and, and feelings and everything too, is I was watching this show the other day. And a dad was talking, a dad and son were talking and the son was really upset with the dad because he had been, you know, like his job was more important and he was going off and everything. And then the son asked him, so why are you like that? You know, and he had to sit there and he started thinking and he said, I'm like this because this is how my dad was. You know, my dad said, you know, you never cry, you never show emotion, you get up, you act strong no matter what, and you put on that front. So that's what I've learned to do my whole life. I don't, you know, men are not supposed to cry, you know, and I think that 
you get to that point and until someone else points it out to you, like you said, you're aware of what's going on. You don't necessarily know that you're, that you're doing that or you're in that state. And I think, you know, men have these certain expectations too, kind of like you were saying, women have these certain expectations, like, you know, you've got to be strong all the time. You got to wear the armor and do it all. And, and I think part of it too, and then talk to me a little bit too about this. Okay. Cause you counsel and you do mental health about men and to women. Mm-hmm. this dynamic between, you know, men and women, I mean, are we getting better at the communication thing? <laughs> um, I, I, I think so. I do think that we are because I think that there's more and more messaging of we're not that um, fundamentally different, you know? And so I know there was that whole like men are from Mars, women are from Venus phenomenon. And then certainly there are differences in the way that we process and the way that we hold information. Um, but as far as being human, we're really, you know, susceptible to the same types of, we, we have the same desires. There are, I see a pattern of um, fear and desires across the board and fears are, I'm not good enough. I'm going to be alone. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to fail in some way or people won't like me or I won't belong. Right. And, and then our, our desires form right from those fears, right? Like we want to be accepted. We want to feel loved. We want to feel seen and understood. And so these are really human needs and they apply to both genders and, and people who identify as non-binary, right? We're, there's so much happening um, all the time for us in relationship. And so it really is a human experience. And then it becomes about the conditioning that's sort of layered on top of that. So that's the word that was coming to mind when you were just sharing that story about the boy and his dad and asking him, why are you this way? And I think our conditioning of what we're taught is acceptable. We sort of run that by our um, desires and fears that are very, what like base human um, desires and fears that I was talking about. So if we want to be accepted by others and we're afraid of not being accepted and we watch other people and we say, oh, is that what I need to do in order to be accepted? And then we start to modify our behavior accordingly. And, or if we're like, really, I think of like, you know, the really wonderful um, ages of like under five where kids are still not super um, aware of the social norms yet. And they're still being really sort of fully authentic. And that one, you know, instance where someone says, well, I don't like that you do that. You know, I I don't like your, that your shoes don't match. That's weird. I don't like that, you know? And then oh, so to be liked by this person, do I need to modify this about myself? And, and the great tragedy of um, the human experience, I think, is that we start to carve off pieces that make us beautiful and original and unique in order to fit some type of mold that nobody actually exists in. And, and it's so, so deeply sad. So I think the more that we come back to this place of, of fundamental oneness and how much more alike than different we are um, and hold more compassion for ourselves and more acceptance for ourselves, then we'll be able to look at that unique expression of you have two different colored shoes on. I think that that's so cool that that's what you feel, you know, is a way to express yourself rather than feeling like it needs to be normalized in some way or it's not, it's outside the box or it's whatever it is, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I think so much about that too. It's because I think for society in order for, okay, I think in order to have structure, that's how it all came about. You know, we have to have structure. So we have to have boxes. When you have structure, you have components and you have compartments because that's what medicine does. You know, we compartmentalize everybody. And I think that's what we've done too with mental health. And we've done with every single thing as part of society, because that's how we can rationalize things and we can see things. And we put it all in these boxes. And I just, I love what you said, you know, if we start to look at 
people as just humans. We're all humans and we basically all have the same needs, wants, desires, all of that, those, those basic fundamentals. Instead of saying, you know, because like, you're right. I remember when like that book, your men are from Venus, is it men from Venus or men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, and then you, you start thinking, okay, I have to talk to my husband like this because he's from this other planet. And then he has to talk to me like this because I'm from this planet. And then I know, you know, the love languages, oh, I got to show him this because this is, instead of just saying, you know, how do we relate to each other? Like you said, you know, as humans and that we all have these feelings and to learn and respect these feelings and we not put each other in boxes because I think that's where, like, again, we stifle all that creativity when we put ourselves or each other in boxes. You know, it's just like, I guess being different people, just, I guess being different scares people, you know? Yeah. And then it's sort of interesting because being different scares people, but then we have these systems and categories that serve to further do just that, differentiate. Yeah. Uh, and I do like um, the concept of the love languages better than the idea of um, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus, because I do think that people are um, express themselves differently and f- experience things differently. I do believe that that's because of, as a result of their own unique upbringing and life experiences right. and the conditioning they've been exposed to. So at the core, I do think we're fundamentally all in need of these same things, but the way in which we feel or experience them can be very different because if you know, um, for example, you know, even the, the dad in the story that you just gave in that example, if we're not taught to, um, demonstrate love and affection through touch or through loving words. And it's more like that dad sounds like the love language would have been service, right? I'm going to work, I'm doing providing I'm whatever. Um, and so just understanding that's how I, how I express my care and concern and my love for you, but also being open to hearing how would you feel loved, you know, and, and that, that, that doesn't feel loving to me. I would, what really would, you know, make me feel loved is if you spent quality time with me, right? Like, and so just us being able to, and open to having these conversations and saying, well, and, and open to the idea that something that we don't experience as very loving might be someone's most accessible way to show it, you know, and, and sort of not selling ourselves short that just because someone's not offering it in the way that most resonates with you doesn't mean that it's not there because I think that's another myth that we can get caught in and um, sort of shortchange ourselves and think that our relationships are not as good as they are because it's not being demonstrated or expressed in a way that we um, uniquely resonate with. So being open to communicate that and sort of come to mutual ground. Yeah, I think definitely, you know, communication is a big thing that's lacking, you know, everywhere and we all need to get better at it. Definitely. Because yeah, I don't think we talk to each other enough about like, you know, like you said, you know, what do you need or how, how should I express, you know, so that if you feel wanted or needed too. And so, and especially in the job, in the job community too, I don't think, I think more bosses need to be trained or, you know, your managers and stuff is like, you know, giving your employees, how do your employees receive that? You know, how do they feel respected? How do they feel like they're being, you know, treated worthy and, you know, at their job or doing stuff instead of just the way that you think that you want to show them. So good point. I think communication is a big thing and yeah, we're kind of getting there. I think it's related to everything we're talking about in the sense that 
part of the reason why we struggle with communication is we're not comfortable with authentic expression because we're constantly filtering for what am I allowed to say here? What's permissible based on the, you know, the saving face and being perceived in the way that I want to be perceived. And so we're, we're still afraid, uh, many of us, to be vulnerable, to be fully vulnerable and express our needs in a way that's um, open and honest. And, and I think that that is actually, um, although it might feel counterintuitive, I think it's the absolute antidote to to the isolation that we're all feeling. Yeah, too, because I know like when I was going through some counseling and I was learning about it, you know, they always tell you, and then you can tell me since you're more in that field, I haven't been in there for a while. It's like when you start off communication with somebody else, you know, this is, you're supposed to say, this is how I feel because you're supposed to take the ownership of it, you know, and kind of like take it off the other person. Because I think too many times, you know, and when people are talking to somebody else immediately, we, we don't know number one, how to take constructive criticism. And we personally, as soon as someone starts saying something, you know, we put these walls up, you know, based whether it's on our past or our own personal perception of things. And we think that they're attacking us. So we put this wall up and immediately you can't hear then what the other person is saying, number one. And then I kind of feel like I've always felt like when you say, this is how I'm feeling is you're not really being able, you're, you're putting the ownership on yourself to try to protect the other person too, because you can't really say it in the way that you want to say it. So sometimes it's like, it's kind of a fine line juggling um, between how you're supposed to talk to somebody and keep your feelings intact and keep their feelings intact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's ownership as and accountability are big components to um, successful communication and respectful communication. I do think, um, I'm just trying to like pull together all the pieces that, that you were just speaking to in my mind as I go through it. Um, so there's the I language, which is definitely an important component, but there was something that you started with that I'm sort of is tugging, tugging at the, um, the beginnings of my, my mind here. Um, do you remember when you started, Michelle? What was that like? I was just, I think that too, okay, like for me, like when I was doing, like I said, you know, the I, you put on here because we're supposed to be consciously taking it off the other person because we get, the other person tends to feel attacked most of the time. And because we don't handle construction, we don't take constructive criticism easily. We say we want it, but then when we get it, we don't really want it. Sure. And I, so I think what the attack was what I was um, talking at my memory. So thank you for jogging. No. Um, I really believe that when you speak on the offense, then the response is going to be defense, right? That's just human nature. So if it's like, you did this immediately, it's like, whoop, I didn't do that, you know? And then there's, so the receptivity and the possibility for resolution is significantly diminished, right? Because now I'm feeling attacked. I want to defend myself. I'm not super open to what you have to say. So one of the things that I recommend in um, collaborative communication is to start with empathy. So I see how you might feel, or I see, I hear what you're saying around X, Y, or Z, or I understand where you're coming from that this bothered you what I'm experiencing so starting with putting yourself in the other person's shoes right away um, one because assuming that if this is someone that you have communication with and you're going to this length of trying to um, have some type of resolution or reconciliation that this is a relationship that matters to you on some level right either a personal relationship that really matters or a work relationship that you have to figure out how to make work or whatever the case may be um, that this is an important thing to sort of work through we want to really 
get to a space of genuinely trying to understand where might the other person be coming from? Because if I'm only thinking from my perspective, then there's not really resolution. I just want my way, right? Like I'm not looking for a compromise. I just want you to get it and then be done with it, which is <laughs> yeah. not truly the goal of like real collaborative communication, right? So if I start off by putting myself in the other person's shoes, I can see why you might feel this way or I understand where you're coming from. And also, so I struggle, like, try not to say but, right? And also, I'm experiencing it this way. But if that's not what you mean, can you tell me what you do mean? Because this is how I interpreted that behavior or that comment or whatever. And it really X, Y, or Z, like, hurt me or bothered me or made me feel disrespected. And I know that that's not how you are, right? I think giving people the benefit of the doubt if you're in relationship with them, hopefully they're good people that deserve the benefit of the doubt. I know you don't, I can't imagine that you would mean that, but it really, really felt that way to me. So what was really happening here? And, and when we are willing to take accountability for, you know, I might not be fully right, but I know how it made me feel. Um, it can really create a much more of a, a guard drop on the other person's side as well. A willingness to take accountability on their part. Well, I could have probably said it differently. So I understand why you took it that way, but no, I didn't mean it, right? Like in that regard, this is what I was really meaning. And now we have open, we're, we're starting from the assumption that we're on common ground. Like we both want the same thing. We want this to go well. We care about each other. So some, some type of rupture happens. Let's work through it. Yeah, I think I love that. And I think that it's great to start there and to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes too. Because genuinely, I think most people in our lives, for most of us, you know, are, are good people, unless you have toxic people in your life that you need to get rid of. But, um, you know, and coming from that place of awareness, I think that we just, we need to reciprocate and kind of see when we're doing in communication, both people's ends, that there's two people here. And both people are trying, you know, we want to come to a resolution for both of us so that we're, we both walk away feeling very good and feeling like our needs are met and that we were heard. So I think that was great. I love that. So lastly, what I want to talk about too is I just love this, that you talk about that you think that the mental health system, the current one, which I think so too, mm -hmm. is broken. And, you know, why do you feel this way? And then tell me, you know, like what, because I, I know that your center is completely different. So some of the things that you see, um, you know, changing and how we need to change that in a, in a broad perspective to bring much better clarity to mental health, because I think mental health has got a, a seriously bad rap. And I think that, you know, it's, it needs, it's, it doesn't need to have that kind of um, negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, um, he, you know, I, I sort of got into the mental health system um, to sort of try to alter it from the inside, right? Like, I think, you know, you sort of can't um, affect change as well from outside of a system. So it's like, how do I get in and, and what are my um, opportunities for creating change in the way that we experience this? But I was really disheartened in a lot of my um, education and my experience in training and um, internships and things because there's such an emphasis in mental health on um, pathology, on like labeling and saying, you know, you feel um, sad and you've felt, you know, melancholy or um, even depressed symptoms or you haven't wanted to get out of bed for three days. And there's not a whole lot of context taken. Um, and it's just sort of like, okay, so you must have major depressive disorder. Here's a um, medication that might, so here's a label for you, to, which I think labels can be helpful in understanding ourselves and giving ourselves permission to understanding what's happening for us and knowing we're not alone. But I think they can be detrimental in the sense of making us feel like there's another thing 
wrong. Like I think we look at labels like something's wrong. Um, and, and I don't believe that there's something wrong with human experience. I think we're meant to feel. And so, you know, this person that can't, that hasn't felt like they could get off the couch in three days, what's going on in their life, you know? And then you find out that they're going through a divorce or someone very close to them just died. And it's like, well, now this is a very reasonable response to this situation. Now we don't necessarily want to see you feeling that way, but it's very understandable. And I don't think it's pathological where we need to start, you know, um, looking at this as if it's like a chronic concern. Um, I also, and I, and I get that for some people, there are chronic concerns, but it's what are, what are the factors, contributing factors here um, and really humanizing our approach. And I also think that when we label and push through and we diminish people right now, the, the mental health system, in my opinion, um, reduces people to diagnoses and symptoms. And, it, and I get that there's some type of desire toward efficacy there of like, I just, you know, to be able to help on the broadest spectrum. But, but I do think when we're talking about human emotion and pain and suffering that comes along with this very, um, you know, multifaceted life that we are all here to live, that that then becomes, you know, we're not giving people permission to feel fully. We're not giving people permission to um, have full lives where they love fully and then really hurt if they have if they lose that love for any reason. And so we're not taking the time to really understand what's happening for people. We're looking at these um, criteria that really are not, in my opinion, reflective of the totality of anything. Um, and it reduces people to a very superficial nature. And I think it can also breed or, or feed this fear that many people have that we are already afraid that we're different in some kind of undesirable, ugly way. And so then we're told, well, you have this mental health condition or you're mentally ill of all things. I hate that language. Yeah. Um, then it's like, oh, okay, so I was right. I was right. There's something awful about me. There's something wrong with me. I am different from other people. And that now we're putting people who are in a very vulnerable space already um, and adding to this sense of like diminished sense of self and um, self-worth and, and things that they're likely already struggling with in this place of emotional suffering. And so I think we're not giving people permission to feel fully. We're not normalizing that feelings are part of life um, and, and sort of supporting people. And what do you need to process to be able to move through and release this emotion as well? Yeah, I, I think so too. I think for me, you know, labels in medicine, you know, equal money. Okay. It's a diagnosis. And I think that too, we've gotten people so in the condition to wanting to have a label. You know, I mean, for me, like people come in all the time and it's like, well, what do I have? You know, I, I need to know what it is. I have, you know, and I guess that yet yeah, a label, you know, like you said, gives some sort of understanding, but there's times when I just tell people, you know, the body is, is fascinating. And sometimes we just don't have all the answers. You know, there's not really a label to why these things are happening, you know, and it's, it may not show up in your blood work, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening to you because it is happening to you because you're talking about it. So we need to like go from there. And I think, you know, just like saying that you have MDD, you know, you're bipolar, you're schizophrenic, you know, they're labels for us, like in the medicine world to kind of, you know, fit them in, you know, and get paid on it and to come up with a treatment plan that 
you know, somebody thought of, but like from your perspective and what I love so much about the work that you're doing is that you come at it from an integrative perspective, like what I totally believe in too. Cause when I was working in mental health and what I still see today is, you know, I, I say it's like a, a swinging door, you know, they come in, they, they check in for a few days. Um, they get them stabilized on their medicine and most of them, you know, have so many side effects from a lot of these medications, as you know, that they don't even like, they, they're so numbed out that they don't want to feel like that. So they go off of them and then they're back out on the streets or they're back in their home society. Things are going wrong. And then you see them come back and forth because there's no real emphasis. I feel, you know, in Western medicine that really is treating the totality of the person and giving them all the things that they need, you know, from nutrition to, you know, expressing themselves. And, and I think a lot of them don't even understand the terms that they're given that they're, of these diagnoses that are, are slapped on them. And then it's okay, here's medication, start taking this. And they're not even told like, how is this medication even working in their brain? You know, how is their brain working differently from somebody else to even understand it on a, on a, you know, on a human level. And, and yeah, so it's just, it's just, like I said, I think it's like a revolving door. Sure. And I, I really, um, I think, you know, I'm not anti-medication by any means. I think for some people it's very um, useful and it might help manage symptoms so that you can do some of the deeper work to get to the root cause. Uh, I do think unfortunately that it's significantly over-prescribed where it doesn't need to be as well um, with this emphasis on on symptom management, right? And just sort of like, um, but but why I say we take an integrative approach here and a holistic approach is we're really looking for beyond the symptoms. Like one of the things I say often is the symptoms are not the problem, right? Like we need to treat the symptoms, offer support around, like we certainly want to make people as comfortable as they can be to do this deeper diving, but we can't forsake the deeper diving. We can't say, okay, um, you know, I'm, I'm managing my symptoms. I don't feel so, so much discomfort anymore. It's sort of, you know, manageable. So I don't need to look at what was ever causing that or um, creating that discomfort in me. Like really encouraging people to move into inquiring into their sensations, inquiring into their experience. One of the things that I believe strongly in is that um, we've become a culture of giving our power away. Mm -hmm. We give our health away to um, medical professionals, myself included, and I don't want that power, right? So like we give our health away to medical professionals, we give our money away to banks, we give our education away to school systems, and and all of those things are wonderful external resources, and we should access them, but we've forgotten our own power and our own filter, and this wisdom that can only come from within, because no one is you. And so they might have wonderful information about things that apply in a very general way, but we have to reconnect with our ability to filter that information, to feel what resonates, to understand how that relates to our individual experience, take what lands, leave the rest, right? And really start to honor this um, innate wisdom and knowledge that we all have for our own um, ability to heal and to thrive. Uh, yeah, I think so too, because I, I, I'm agree with you. I think that there's a place for medication in all things. Okay. If you have to have it, you do. But I think, you know, for me, you know, we just jump to it because we're so busy. You know, when you're seeing 30 people a day, you don't really have time to sit them in, in my setting to, you know, talk about what's going on and how, you know, they got to the point where they, where they got here, you know, too. And there's just, there's not a whole lot of education on any front, not even just in the mental health illness, but in anything else. But I so love about how you talk about that. You know, we have to take back some of our own power because, you know, one of, you know, my 2019, it was 2018, it's my 2019, it's my mission, you know, to globally, you know, bring women 
into the forefront that you've got to understand, number one, self-care for yourself. And number two, you've got to be your own best self-care advocate. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, gone are the Marcus Welby days when, you know, your doctor knows everything or this person knows everything or this one. No, you've got to know your own body and you do. And you've got to be able to speak up for your own self. And like I tell people, if you are not getting what you need done, you need to talk about it. So I, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that about that self-awareness and and taking responsibility for yourself, because we do give so much of it away freely and we don't even think about it. Like, you know, you're sitting here saying, oh, I never thought about the education part, you know, you know, and we give our money to the banks and we don't think anything about that. You know, it's like a second nature, you know, and then but with our health, you know, you need to get educated, like you said, about for yourself, you know, and don't take any blatant stuff that just somebody says, you know, go do some research on it and kind of figure out if it fits for you. And maybe one part of it fits for you and maybe another part doesn't, but you're not going to know that until you kind of get down into the, you know, the meat of it. So I just, I really love that. And I love that, you know, that at your center, you know, you do yoga, you do other kind of work to bring people back because it all leads back like to this whole conversation that we've been having today about, you know, self-awareness, you know, taking some quiet time, you know, filtering out old crap that we have, you know, and stuff that, you know, we give ourselves or other people give us that, you know, has stuck like mud and is now like cement on us that we can kind of scrape off, you know, and we, and we need help with doing that in a safe environment, you know, and taking time through what you do yoga practice, which is, you know, I just love yoga and meditation and just taking some time out for that. So in our last few minutes here, um, I want you to give me three of your top tips, you know, for women, you know, as with regard to, you know, how can they, their three top tips to protect their mental health and to, um, and to feed themselves. Sure. So my very first, um, as you might guess already from our conversation so far is, um, to create time for stillness. And the reason why, um, that is, I harp on that so very much is, is one, I think that we need to balance the activity and the movement and the, um, you know, action and productivity oriented nature of things, but also it's in stillness where our insights arise, right? And, um, taking time to quiet things down is when that inner wisdom really has the opportunity to bubble up. So when you say, Michelle, like get to know your body and get to know yourself. Um, most people that I see in my practice, um, they come in, they could very well be walking heads. They're not even aware they have a body, right? Like there's a lot of intellectualization happening, um, and, and a lot of beliefs and thoughts and rumination even, but, but not a lot of sensation or awareness of what's happening. Um, from the neck down and that's, you know, much more of your, your experiences, your body than, than your head. And so there's, um, just this taking time to take stock, to connect, to take, you know, an inventory. How am I feeling? How am I feeling physically, emotionally, um, mentally, spiritually? What are those dynamics for me? How, um, what am I in need of? Because that's the first question. And then yeah. how can I honor those needs? Right. Cause like yes. uh, sometimes we know like, Oh, I probably need to rest. We've got this sort of, um, light, you know, idea. Like I, I think that I'm starting to feel burnt out. I'm tired. I must need to rest, but really taking the time to intentionally check in and then go a step further and honor those needs. I am noticing that I need this because I'm checking in and I can tell I feel this in my body or I feel this in my heart. Um, and, and then going the, the extra step to really take care of yourself around that, honor those particular needs. Um, 
Another practical implementation thing would be to treat yourself like someone who matters um, and someone that you love because I think we're really, really good. Most people are really good at treating other people that way, like they matter and like, like um, they love them. But for ourselves, it can often fall significantly short. We come last on the list, um, and often if the list is too long, we're the thing that gets booted off. And, but, but when we come back to those beliefs of core values and core human needs, we need to feel like we matter. We need to feel like we belong. We need to feel safe and secure and um, like we're loved and accepted. And we can really... Um, you don't start there with ourselves, right? Like when you show up to treat yourself in a way that is self-nourishing, that is um, self-prioritizing, that is the way that you would treat someone that you love very much, you start to communicate that to your own heart. I do matter because I treat myself like someone who matters, right? And, and that's a behavioral change in a lot of ways, right? I start to set boundaries where I need to. I start to take time where I need to. Um, and because I think one of the main things that injuries that we can um, commit toward ourselves is self-abandonment that everything in the world is going wrong and everyone needs us and, and no one's here for me, including me, right? Including me. And that's the deepest sadness. I think um, at the very, very least, we should be showing up for ourselves. If, if nothing else, that makes the world a much safer place because we know we can rely on ourselves to get our needs met, um, that we're going to show up for us no matter what. You have someone that you can rely on in yourself. And I think that creates a a baseline of resiliency mental and emotional health wise that is so so very significant um so a third um just like my so you said top three a third aspect of how we could take care of our mental and emotional health i think would be to create some type of ritual um that is incorporates self-inquiry so i think that inquiring um like I talked about in stillness, but inquiring in a very general way with how you're showing up, what you need, taking stock um, and self-reflection. How am I you know, present in this relationship? Is this relationship serving me? Um, you know, just sort of really being in that space of self-reflection. So that can be done through um, journaling practices. It can be done, you know, here we do a lot of um, gentle yoga practicing because there's a lot of like opportunity to inquire into, there's a lot of symbolism with yoga, you know, so I am feeling slight discomfort in this pose? Am I going to allow myself to come out of it? Am I going to push through and, um, you know, like make myself stay in this pose, even though I'm borderline in pain here? And, or am I going to like soften and release the tension in my body and see how that affects the pose and just noticing how am I showing up here? Right? So yoga is just one opportunity, one invitation to notice how you're showing up. And there's so many parallels to what happens on the mat and happens off the mat. So if I'm pushing through this pose, do I do that in my life? Do I push through no matter if I'm in pain, whether it's hurting me, it's not serving me, do I push through anyway? Or do I give myself the invitation, the permission to move into child's pose, to move into a restorative place if that's what I'm noticing I need? So just, and yoga is just one example, but putting yourself in a place where you are really able to learn about you in an active way and notice those patterns of how you show up and so that you have the opportunity to alter them if they're not serving you. Yeah, those, my heart was just bounding there when you were talking about all those things, because those are so true, you know, and I think that 
we're, we're getting there. I think that, you know, we are definitely seeing a movement in, in this forward direction. And that just so blesses my heart because I have, you know, I, I've seen women, you know, I've counseled them, I've talked to them, you know, been at the helm of their healthcare for, for years. And it's just to see this, you know, I mean, I don't see it so much, you know, in, in the actual Western medicine, but we're seeing some change. We're seeing some change because things are changing. So, you know, I'm just so glad that you're out there. So give us, um, tell us where can we find you if they want to and, um, and how can they connect with you? Sure. So our website is um, holisticheartri.com. So we are a brick and mortar. We're a physical location. So if you're not um, local to us, then we won't get to see you in person necessarily. But we do um, put out a lot of video um, content of some of the experiential exercises and things that we do. So you can find links to all of that on our website. We have a YouTube channel. If you're looking to practice some of the things that we practice with us um, virtually, you can do that there as well. And you can sign up for our new newsletter and get updates um, and inspirations if that's something that you're interested in. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Kristen. I had such an honor talking with you today. Learned a lot. Hope you ladies got a lot out of this, you know, especially about, you know, taking care of yourselves and how honoring that, you know, helps your mental health and how all that is going to translate into, you know, making your business life, your personal life and all of your relationships so much better. So until next week, ladies, thanks again and bye for now.